Hi, and welcome to Beggar's Bread, a podcast where we invite Christians and truth seekers to engage with thoughtful sources in an age of disinformation. In this episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing Katrina Hodges about the church, racism, and hope for the future. Katrina is a community organizer and attended North Carolina State University, where she has received a dual degree in psychology and social work. She also currently works alongside One Wake, a coalition of faith-based organizations in Wake County that pursues social justice and policy advocacy. We experienced some technical difficulties at the beginning, so apologies for the rough introduction. And with that, here's my interview with Katrina Hodges. We'll restart at... Let's see. (laughs) Yeah, so we met We were talking about where we met, yeah. Yeah, we were talking about where we met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, Mm -hmm. you know, this is going to work. But yeah, pretty much, you know coffee and social justice obviously go hand in hand right Mm -hmm. yep (laughs) gotta be about the beans (laughs) yep yep i've met i've met some cool people in starbucks and i've met some problematic people in starbucks before so you're one of the cool people i've met there (laughs) well that's definitely encouraging because i know i myself have also met problematic people and it's i mean it's definitely in and of itself encapsulates a wide slew of people from mm-hmm. all different backgrounds and so that can include people experiencing various levels of you know mental distress or just unpleasant people or just amazing people or people that need support so it's a whole like i said mm-hmm. you know it kind of encapsulates what at least raleigh looks like i think exactly and so, exactly kind of cool stuff but um yeah so the reason why we were going to have you on the show is that we were As I kind of said in the introduction, hopefully it went through. We'll find out later when I edit this. Um, Kind of those three three main topics of like church, racism, and hope for the future. I felt like that kind of encapsulated Mm -hmm. some of the questions that um, we had in line for, you know, this interview to see kind of what your experience has been, um, things that are challenging and problematic, and then what action steps we can take as individuals, because I think oftentimes that for myself has in many ways, but not always overwhelmed me with like, well, how do we individually kind of go about this if we don't actually have those um, positions of power to actually enact change on like an institutional level as far as like church denominations and whatever have Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. So I guess for the first question, I was going to ask, what has your experience with the white evangelical church been like here in the south because we're in um as our listeners know for me anyways north carolina yeah yeah so i'm from north carolina as well and i i've had let's see some experience you know the black church and the white church um it's kind of i feel like in north carolina kind of like the town that i live in like there's no escaping white evangelicalism because um there's a seminary here (laughs) so it's like i feel like it's just You can't go anywhere. Even if we, you know, go back to the whole Starbucks example, you go to Starbucks, it's a whole bunch of seminary students um, studying. So that's um, so true. Literally, the (laughs) church I went to is only people that had attended um, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. I wasn't trying to put their name out there, (laughs) but you put them out there. Ah, Um, well, you know, I put it out. Whoops. That's my bad. But um, so no, so I've definitely I've had some good experiences in white church. I've had some bad experiences. Um, I guess I do want to start off with saying that I love the church. Um, I I think that is like God's way of, you know, at, 
actually, you know, putting kind of feet to the gospel, using the church to do that. And so if I am critical, it's it's out of love, honestly. It's out of love. It's out of hurt. Um, and it's out of just like wanting to see like good change and good things. And, um, and I want to see like the... <laughs> I want to see the ideal church like actually <laughs> happen. And so um, when I was about maybe eight years old or t um, between the ages of eight and 10, my parents started going to a church um, in Apex, North Carolina. And it was a, it was considered, I, I would consider it a white evangelical church. Um, it, it's called a Sovereign Grace Church. Um, it, well, it used to be part of Sovereign Grace. Now, now they're not a part of Sovereign Grace Ministries. Um, but it was a sovereign grace church, um, predominantly white, that you could probably count on your hands, like the amount of black families in the church. Um, and I think that experience, you know, I've, like I said, I gained great things, like my best friend um, met her there. Um, I know the church that we went to, they had a great, um, they really valued like, you know, good doctrine and like learning um, a lot about, like about theology and like equipping people to like um, it within the church, uh, you know, about theology. Um, so those things were good, but then you definitely had um, what I, I guess we call blind spots in those spaces. Um, and just, I never really experienced and um, like a willingness for people to want to get out into the community um, and help people in like a social justice kind of manner. Um, that the church was amazing at like helping out within the community of our church, but I always wanted to see like more action outside of the church. Um, and I thought that's something that they really lacked. Um, and then of course there's just like <laughs> microaggressions and all of that um, that come with going to the church. But, you know, going to, let's see, when I turned maybe 18, I think that's when I left the church. So I was there for about eight to 10 years because um, I went there with my parents. Um, and when I turned 18, that's when I left and I started going to the church that I go to now. Um, and it is, I mean, it's multicultural, but predominantly black. Um, but I definitely, from that experience of like growing up in the white in evangelical space, um, and then there were other spaces that I was in that were white as well. Um, like just cause you know, we're in the South or in the town, like I said earlier, the town I'm in, um, but then after that experience kind of led me to think like, oh, I want to be more intentional about being in Black spaces and being in spaces that celebrate Black theology and Black thought and don't like tear down the Black church and Black people because they might see an issue differently. Um, and I think around the time I left was also when, I, I always get them confused. I think it was around the time when Mike Brown was killed um, or Trayvon Martin. I think it was when, around the time when Mike Brown was killed. So just seeing kind of like the science, the silence and the complicity in that white church, that really bothered me. And that was hurtful, just knowing like, okay, I have a brother that is black. And if you were in the same situation, would the same silence um, come from you guys? Um, and it's death. The silence is deafening. <laughs> so oh, um, I'm sure because I can recall very, very clearly, not, you know, nothing regarding any of the police brutality instances mm -hmm. um, that gained national, you know, news coverage um, during a time in which I was, you know, heavily involved within a particular church that never used such words as social justice or justice in general, um, or even cried out and lamented 
the deaths of people um, who are brutally murdered. And it's kind of shocking that, and I find it interesting too that you also mentioned how the church that you had attended in Apex was insular in the way it engaged our community. The community was predominantly geared towards supporting the church, but not kind of spreading that light outwards, if I understood that correctly. And I felt like I had, you know, had a very similar experience. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, that definitely was my experience just with, uh, I guess, like a hyper focus on the internal, which, which, like, I don't want to be too critical of because I think it was great how they cared for each other. Um, but it's like when you can see how well you're caring for people in one realm, it's like, okay, well, I know you guys have the capacity to do it somewhere else, too. <laughs> so it's like, I just want to, like, kind of encourage that, like, saying the same energy which you're giving toward one thing, can we, like, give it to something else as well? So, but yeah, yeah, that was my experience. Yeah, and I guess, like, during your experience there, were, were there any moments in which besides silence was there an invalidation of anybody because i know you briefly talked about how um black theology and black churches were kind of disparaged because of the stances they took on particular issues such as social justice and i was wondering if that was kind of a similar case at the church that you had attended or if that was something that you've just seen in kind of recent um interactions with like for example the white evangelical church mm-hmm. for sure so i think when during the time when I was in the church, there were things that were happening that I wasn't able to put a name to and I wasn't able to like really label. And now that I've kind of been able to take a step back and older, <laughs> a little bit wiser, <laughs> um, I'm able to be like, oh, like that's what was happening there, right? Um, and there were definitely moments, and I don't, I don't, I personally don't remember like a time when you know, someone was on the pulpit and they're like, we are not going to participate in social justice. Like there there was never like a time like that. Um, but I can just think of things that like friends said or like their parents said that like looking back, I'm like, hmm, that was kind of racist <laughs> or that was sexist. Um, or just like some things you just can't even put into words, but just how you just don't, or for me at least, just not feeling valued as a woman and then not valued as a, a black woman too. Um, so I think there were definitely, I'm trying to think of like a specific example um, or so spe- specifically, I, I do remember people. Um, so the, the church that we used to go, I used to go to an apex play, placed a high value on like um, the correct doctrine, doctrine, right? And so like, if there was anyone that believed anything different, it was like, we just didn't listen to them, right? We didn't associate (laughs) with their denomination. So I remember people, you know, talking badly about like the Baptists, like, oh, we don't like, they go to a Baptist church or, you know, like things like, oh, they're Baptist. So it was like kind of to invalidate people that were Baptist. And that always went bump to me um, because the church, I guess it would be considered like reformed. It, it was like a weird mix of like reformed and charismatic. Um, and so there was like, you know, it was, just, it was just like, kind of like, just, yeah, just, they didn't think highly of people that were, came from different denominations. Um, and then I think one thing that really stuck out to me was in youth group one, one day, um, 
we were going through this series on like different worldviews and like how you should be able to process like truth and like, um, you know, just how they were just trying to kind of like frame our minds and like how we should think about different topics in the world. Right. And the one week I remember the one week I went to youth group, none of my siblings came with me. My parents didn't come at all. (laughs) This one week they were talking about how Christianity, um, like our nation was founded on Christian values um, and how like America is a Christian nation. And then what they would have us do is like break, like we would watch a video and then we would watch the video and then we'd break up into like discussion groups. And I remember we broke up into the discussion groups and I was just like, sitting there just like shocked like I've my parents have never taught me that America was a Christian nation like I've never heard that before right and so everyone's like in the discussion group like yeah like we need to you know get back to our roots or whatever and like preserve you know America as it has been and I was just like I don't even know what to say like I, I think the thing that kept coming up in my mind is like you do know that these people that you're saying are Christians they enslaved people so how are they, how are you saying they're like the epitome of what is like a follower of Christ? Like that seems yeah, like the exact the opposite. Exactly. Um, so I think that like that and kind of like in that moment, I was like, oh, that's crazy. And I remember telling a friend of mine after the discussion, I was like, I've never heard that before. Like, that's just ridiculous. And she was like, wow, like, how could you not, you know, like she just had a completely different like worldview on that Um so anyway, that, that's just like one example. Um, but I, I think that kind of shows just the themes that kind of came up and I guess the type of people that were in the church and what they believed. Um, it's definitely um, politically and stuff like that. Yeah, no, because I definitely came. I think I had a the opposite experience, right? And that like I definitely grew up with that, you know, founded upon Christian ideals and stuff like that. And like founding fathers were Christian and stuff like that. Um, and it does actually take some effort to get at truth sometimes. And so I feel like when I went to school at NC State, it definitely changed a lot of perspectives as I gained additional information regarding the history of America um, through that education, particularly like in the you know early 20th century and the establishment of like the social... Um, workers movement and stuff like that and how they tackled certain things I had never heard of and stuff like that and so it's definitely very challenging but I found what you just said as far as or going back to kind of what you're talking about as far as kind of invalidation goes um something came to light actually last week as we're recording this podcast that I totally forgot to mention in the question set but I thought it would be interesting to talk about given that as far as the Southern Baptist Convention goes, given their recent statement um, regarding critical race theory, mm-hmm. I feel like it's interesting given that the demographics of the Southern Baptist Convention do contain black churches as well. Mm-hmm. And perhaps, I don't know if you want to talk more about that, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... um. I yeah it's like it's crazy to me because I don't even really know what to say about it (laughs) I think the best thing um yeah so basically what you're referring to is a whole like the presidents of the different southern baptist um seminaries came out with like a document basically condemning um critical race theory 
and saying that the critical race theory is like a threat to the Christians or the evangelical church. Um, and I don't know if this is wrong. I, this could be completely wrong, but I am very just, I guess, apathetic to like what the Southern Baptist Convention says about race. I just don't care. <laughs> like I, I, you know, like when I'm processing and thinking through like the different injustices that are happening and racism and how I'm affected, how my friends are affected, how my community is affected, you know, I'm not thinking, oh, let me go look at what the Southern Baptist Convention has said about this. What is their stance? Um, I, I really try um, to think, you know, biblically. That's definitely a conviction that I have. It's like I need to process things biblically. Um, and there are other sources that I go to, and it's not the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, so I will put that out there. And, and it's like, in a way, I don't care. And I think that people that really do care and like about like helping their communities, they they're not really like paying attention to this mess. Um, what I will say though, is that um, it, it's kind of hurtful though, and it is kind of perpetuating just the systems that, you know, I would say are hurting um, black people. Um, it seems just kind of tone deaf and just doesn't seem like they're actually listening to the people that might use um, the critical race theory. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not super like versed in the CRT, um, but I, I will recommend, I know you guys recommend things, <laughs> so I oh, will yes. recommend, <laughs> there's this one um, group called the Anne Campaign, and they seek to kind of equip and guide people as they're thinking through um, politics in a more like biblical way. So they're not Republican, they're not Democrat, they're, they're, they kind of like to be on the outside um, so they wouldn't even say they're moderate. They're just kind of like on the outside, just like looking in, trying to like guide people, guide people in making these decisions, right? Um, so their most recent podcast, um, Justin Gibney, their founder, he addresses the um, the critical race theory in the Southern Baptist Convention, um, and he talks about that and just what what that means for the church. And I think he does a really good job of addressing that, probably better than me. Um, and and he does even get to the point, Nick, that you mentioned, like, there are Black leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention. So, like, how does that even fit there? And how does that make sense? Um, but it's called the AND Campaign, and they have a podcast called The Church Politics, and it's their most recent episode. It's their last episode for the year, so it's really super easy to click and listen. So that's where I would d direct you. No, that's great. That's a great response, and it's actually a podcast that I need to listen to because I still haven't, I just found it out and I was like, wait, so I follow them on Instagram, but I haven't actually listened to their podcast and I mm -hmm. do a podcast. So that's kind of problematic because <laughs> um, oh, no. he yeah. also, there's also a book out as well, right? Mm -hmm. Where they're talking yeah. about, um, what is it like compassion, compassion and truth and compassion or something like that? Compassion and conviction, I believe. Yes, correct. Awesome. Yeah, now it would also be another recommendation to add to the list of things. <laughs> yeah. Because it's really yeah. great. Yeah. So, and I, I mean, as, oh, sorry, keep going. Oh, no, I was just going to, what were you going to say? <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, as as we keep going, I'll definitely bring this up later, but there's so many resource, resources out there um, for you to learn from, and there's really no excuse when it comes to learning about 
racism, social justice, and all of that. There's a lot out there. And I'll be sure to include those in the description link for this episode as well. That way people can just click it, buy it, rent it. I mean, I'll buy it for you, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Not unless there's a lot of people listening. If there's a lot of people listening, (laughs) I'm sure you guys have money. Um, (laughs) But I wanted to go back to, because I liked how you talked about framing it biblically. And I was wondering, how do you think salvation theology impacts our views on social justice and specifically the type of theology that emphasizes souls going to heaven rather than like renewed restored creation through jesus yeah so that's a great question <laughs> it, that makes me think. <laughs> it kind of got long my bad <laughs> <laughs> no you're good you're good um so i think just as you know, as a Christian, as a believer, um, you know, when I think of salvation and like the Lord saving me, I I think of like, he made me right with him, right? He made me righteous. And I also believe that righteousness, (laughs) the translation, like the literal definition of righteousness is actually justice. Um, And so I was reading this and, um, It was a book called The Armor of God by Priscilla Schreier. And it says that justice is the quality of being upright, um, fulfilling the expectations set in a relationship. Um, And so I think that a lot of times when, you know, as Christians, and I think this, yeah, I think a lot of times as Christians, we're like, okay, I'm saved. I'm good. (laughs) God saved me. I'm going to heaven. I can just live however I want, right? But then there's so many verses in the Bible and just like kind of the, the narrative in the Bible is like, once you become a Christian, you, you are a new creation on earth. Like it doesn't just start once you're in heaven, right? You, you become a Christian and then you're going through um, this, you're justified. And then you're going through a process of sanctification where you are becoming more and more like Christ. And as we become more and more like Christ, like we embody the things that he embodied and that is like loving others, caring for people, speaking truth, um, you know, calling people out, rebuking people when they're wrong, um, being patient, um, being someone of peace. And so those are the things that we should strive for on earth, I believe. Um, and it's a process. No one gets it, perf- gets it perfect. Um, but that is kind of like the, like the tenets of like our faith, like God, you know, we are always becoming more and more like Christ, right? Um, So I think that, you know, how that kind of gets back to justice is like, if God is making me right, and I'm becoming more like him, that means I need to be making things right on earth as well. Um, And I even think of like, what is it called? The, um, now I'm going blank, but it's the it's the prayer. It's like our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be our name. What is that prayer? Oh, the Lord's prayer. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. I was totally going to yes. bring that up too. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord's prayer, right? So, um, you know, and it ends with you know, at, on earth as it is in heaven, right? So it's like God has this picture of like in heaven, it's ideal, right? It's perfect, but He wants earth to be the same way, and we are the people that are carrying out that plan. Um, and so I guess that's kind of kind of how I think of it going together is I definitely I have been saved and I don't want to be selfish with my salvation I want to 
spread the good news. And the good news is that we know God, right? We we are able to know him. And in knowing God, I'm learning that he is a, he is a God of justice, right? He is a God that wants things right on earth. And that's, that's how I see the, the two connected. And I hope that answers your question. I think it does. And I think it's a more beautiful portrait of the gospel in that it's not just about us you know like it's Mm -hmm. larger and it encompasses you know on earth as it is in heaven it's a full holistic redemptive view of god's plan through israel then through jesus becoming the embodiment of israel's vocation um in a way that i think gets kind of put to the wayside in our individualistic culture in many ways um so i do i do really highly value your answer on that one i think it's pretty pretty solid. <laughs> good, good. And I mean, I'll also add just, I don't know if this fits here as well, but there's a verse in um, the Old Testament. It's Micah 6, 8. Um, and it, and I'll just read it verbatim, but it says, he has told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and love and to love kindness and walk humbly with your God. Um, And so to me, that's pretty explicit, you know, what God requires of us. And um, he requires that for his people. It's not, and it's it's not like a a thing that's just expected of like all humans. Um, It's just, that's something that he calls Christians to do is to love justice and pursue it. Um, And if someone wants to, who wants to submit my life to the Lord, I'm also going to submit my life to the call of, you know, of creating justice in this world and in, in, in my context, whatever that may mean. And I feel like that kind of ties into the next question as well. And I might actually already answer it because um, we're talking about like in an age where America is increasingly, at least like in our lifetimes, mm-hmm. um, me being 23, don't have a lot to give, but you know, <laughs> it feels over the last four years, increasingly divided along political, racial and economic lines. Um, where does the church come into that? Or at least like from a biblical standpoint, because I feel like within several, I mean, different traditions have different roles and I've seen different traditions take different roles in trying to pursue justice and restorative redemption. Um, but where do you see it? Where do you see the ideal moving forward for the church? For sure, for sure. So I think that, I think it looks differently, looks different for each church. Um, I think one thing that I've learned is the importance of like doing work in your corner and just being diligent and faithful to your little corner in the world, right? Because we can't, like, we don't have the capacity to, like, change the entire world at, like, one time. But if people are faithful to, like, their little corners, then, you know, those corners add up and boom, the world's changed. So I think for each church, it's different. They have different capacity. Um, like I said earlier, I or like you said earlier, I've been doing work with this organization that works with different faith-based organizations um, to help them engage politically. And one program that we did was a get out the vote campaign. So we were just trying to get more people registered to vote. We were not, you know, um, canvassing for a particular um, candidate, but we were just helping people get the resources they needed to vote, maybe even a ride 
um, to the polls, things of that nature. And what I was seeing is some churches had the capacity to do different things, but it was just because the makeup of each church was different, right? So there is one church um, in particular that I worked with, and they were able to have staff that were specifically dedicated to social justice, right? So, you know, these women and men, they're paid to do this. So they were able to spend more time. They were on the ground registering people with their iPads, going to people's houses. They were able to do that because they had the capacity. There were other churches where they um, might have like one um, volunteer who was just really passionate about this. And then they were just trying to call people in the church to see if they would help out. And people were just kind of doing it on their free time, you know, on their lunch break or when they took the kids to soccer practice. And both people were like equally faithful, right? But they were kind of able to, um, you know, they, the their reach was different, but it was appropriate for their church and their resources and what they were able to do. So I guess that's just to reiterate, like, don't, <laughs> if you are genuinely interested in like, you know, getting involved politically as a church, like, I guess don't get discouraged, like, oh, we're not doing enough or we could be doing more. Like you're doing, maybe you need to do <laughs> what's appropriate for you. Um, but let me kind of go back to more, I guess, like theoretical framework, and then I guess we could get more practical. Um, I think that the role of the church, if you think like sim very simply, right, is um, you have your body of believers, you have your pastor who's teaching, leading, and then you have, you know, other people in the church. I don't know how, you know, every church is different. You have, like, elders. You have, like, different pastors, deacons, and stuff like that. They all have different roles. They all have different giftings. You are to, like, uplift the body and encourage each other within the church. Um, you are to serve each other within the church. Um, and then you also think missionally, like God has told us to, or Jesus told us to go so go out and spread the gospel so there's also like an actual like leaving our location <laughs> whether that be outside to your neighbor's house or um i know with covid it's, it's tricky <laughs> i don't know if you're dming people <laughs> giving them the gospel i don't know um but we're also just called to be missional um and then god also calls the church to i believe you know to love our neighbors um but then also there's repeatedly in the Bible is this um, command to love widows and love children, right? And I think that, you know, with all, there's, the, the church is, I guess, in a way dynamic, and there's, there's, this isn't an exhaustive list of what we're, the church is supposed to do. But if you think of the church, I'm thinking like, okay, it's supposed to care for the members of the church. And if we're looking at, like, what's actually going on politically, those issues are affecting the people in the church. Like, the person sitting next to you or COVID era, the person logged in with you, watching TV, <laughs> your live stream of church, they're being affected by policy, by laws, by the economy, right? And so, like, that means the church needs to care for those people, and one way they can care is by getting involved with policy, with politics, right? And that looks different for everyone, um, but I think sometimes, and I've done this in the past too, it's had this mindset of like, oh, it's, I'm in the church, I'm supposed to help them, <laughs> but I'm not really, like, targeting who them is, but them is in my church, 
<laughs> they, the, the people that were helping, those are my friends. Those are, the, those. that's my family, my cousins. Um, so I think if we try to kind of shift and see, oh, we're actually served, like God has called us to love people in our church. And there's people in our church that are struggling because healthcare is too expensive. Or there's people that are struggling because they have too many tickets because they um, keep getting pulled over for driving while black. Like the, these are like actual things that are happening to your the people in your congregation so um like you better (laughs) you better stand up for them in some way um i think that one thing that needs to happen is like your pastor might not like endorse a political candidate i don't think you're supposed to even do that as like a nonprofit organization like i don't i'm not really sure that that is supposed to happen um but i do think pastors do need to call out and like bad ideology and pastors need to also be for something like I don't I think we need to be for like a, a some things that are good and like push people towards truth and like good resources and not just like watch your members like argue over things but actually like teach people like how to process like information how to do good research um yeah I think I think churches need to be for something um, instead of just against things. Um, and that's something I've learned at a personal level um, is, you know, like personally, like I, I would say I'm a little bit more, I don't want to say I'm, I'm not, my family makes fun of me because I'm not super liberal, but I guess I am more liberal than your average, you know, evangelical. And so um, I, I there have been times where I'm just like, oh, I'm against you know, what someone that is Republican might say. I'm just against that. But I have to shift and think, no, I'm not just against that. I'm for something else. Like, I'm for, um, you know, I'm, I'm not just going to be a reactionary type of person. Um, and I think that, like, our churches and our, our leadership just need to encourage people to think more critically about things and kind of think from the outside um, instead of thinking with labels of Republican, Democrat, um or liberal, moderate, like, how can I think of these things from a biblical point of view? Because God does, in the Bible, um, address things um, that are political, and he ha- He He liberates his people through government and through people um, protesting. And um, so I, I think there's a place for that in the church. Um, and so I hope that makes sense as I'm going on, but... <laughs> <laughs> I think it did for me in that, well, I like particularly how you talk about what the church should embody and it should be for things and not as pop culture might indicate. I mean, even also historically things that we tend to be viewed or even promote this idea that all we are about is, you know, against this, against that, against that policy, belief, ideology, whatever, um, when really, I think a more biblically centered view would be for the advocacy of human flourishing and what it means for people to be truly human and for people to actually like have the ability to flourish in society. And so I did like that. And I think that was very powerful and it should promote people at least with some encouragement or a slight nudge to think about what it means to get political and how being political isn't about self-preservation for the Christian, but 
it's a propagation of the good of the other. And so like you talked about the widow and the orphan. Um, and frankly, I mean, we should just bring back the Sermon on the Mount a little bit more in sermons because I think yeah. that, I mean, that a baseline is such a good piece of knowledge that Jesus gives us that we just tend to forget, or not even knowledge, it's commandments that we tend to just kind of throw by the waist and we're like, oh yeah, it's Sermon on the Mount, but it's only applicable like for that time period. But it's like, actually there's, there's consequences to not, to not being obedient. And I think that's something to take into consideration as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I, I also think that churches, you know, they need to work to be just, I guess this is restating what I said earlier, is work from being just reactionary and just become people that are already, like you said, promoting human flourishing. Because one thing I really appreciate about my church is, um, you know, this year, with, you know, you had the um, the murder of George Floyd. Um, you have Breonna Taylor still hasn't been served any justice. Um, there's just a lot <laughs> going on this year with racial injustice. And um, my church has been speaking on those issues and has been teaching people and equipping them for years on things like that. Um, like our pastor has been um, just faithful to always give us a kind of a biblical worldview on how to process those things. And there's been things that have happened that have just affirmed black women, black families, black men in our church. So I was like, I know where my church stands on those things. Right. And then like when those things were happening, I was starting to see like some white churches that were like, Oh, you know, we actually need to address this. And then there were black people in those churches upset because, or yeah, upset, I think would be a good word is because they were, they just felt like, oh, they're just doing this panel on race <laughs> or they're doing this um, sermon series on multiculturalism just because they have to. And it didn't seem genuine. Um, but I think churches can do a better job. Some, some white churches can do, do a better job of just having like this theme and narrative in their body that, Black lives do matter um, and have and like, yeah, they could just do a better job of having that just be a consistent theme throughout so that when things like this happen, you're not scrambling, trying to come up with a statement or something like that, so that your your people in your church already know that they're that they do matter, that their lives do matter. Yeah, I think that's really poignant because I know I think it was when George Floyd was murdered that a ton of churches locally started having talks. And then there was a podcast I listened to that one of the guys, he was multiracial, um, he likes to call himself ethnically ambiguous, which I thought was amazing. And so he was kind of frustrated in that. Yeah, for some, like his perception was the, the voices that are getting heard regarding those um, are white voices and not the voices mm-hmm. that have been talking about this for years. Exactly. Um, and I think that was really powerful and convicting in that, like, why why hasn't this been the conversation when, as you were talking about earlier, things that are on an institutional level do affect people right next to you in that pew. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to be cognizant of that and to actually talk about these issues from the pulpit through that power that you have as leaders that way people are getting information and are equipped to handle it and to 
deal with it on a biblical level that promotes again like we talked about human flourishing yeah yeah and that was another thing i did want to add um is kind of to your to the a question you asked is like how should christians you know think about biblically about getting political and i think a lot of times or you know as i've heard um when i'm talking to you know friends that are in southern baptist kind of circles or, you know, white evangelical spaces, it's like, oh, like, this is the first time the church is actually dealing with this, or this is the first time the church is talking about this. I don't know how to, where to get started, right? But I think that <laughs> that does a disservice to churches and, like, um, and denominations that have been involved. And so when you look historically, like, the Black church has been involved in politics and social justice. And so, you know, I think that's just a part of just being American. We tend to think, like, anything white is like the standard. So we're like, the white church hasn't been doing it. So that means it hasn't been happening. No, the black church has been very involved, right? Like we, like when you think of the civil rights movement, you think of like people like um, uh, Martin Luther King, right? Or even if you think of like Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, like these these people were influenced by the Bible, by the gospel. Um, they, they didn't just think, oh, um, um, oh, no, I'm oppressed. I need to get out. I need to think of like something that relates to the white man. No, like they they really believe like these these people were true Christians and really believed the gospel and like they love the Lord and their the conviction came from the gospel. Right. And so I think it what we should do is as we're thinking of like, how can we get engaged politically is look to people that have done it before and or who do who are doing it now. And a lot of times that is the black church and the black church has been involved. Um, for a while. And so, yeah, just kind of to your, your point of like some voices that are, you know, are speaking on these issues don't necessarily need to be the ones speaking. We, I think it's instead of like trying to craft that sermon series or that panel discussion of like all the <laughs> white pastors in the area, you need to be looking of like, well, who can I amplify? You know, like maybe they are doing the work and I haven't heard of them before. Maybe they are doing the work and they just need more financial backing. Like, um, and you can learn so much from people that are already already in the trenches. Right, so true. And also taking into account the fact that we tend to underplay people's roles in the community and overplay Christians' roles within the church itself. And so mm-hmm. often, even if that person that is actively involved in pursuing social justice out in the community um, is attending a church and they don't necessarily get the recognition or uplifting of their voice that they might deserve or that church body needs to hear because what they're doing is not innate to what that church might perceive to be their mission or their mission statement per se. When, as we've discussed just now, the gospel has an intrinsic level of justice to it. Like God's setting the earth right. Like Jesus is ruling now. Death has been defeated. And so if we're forgetting that, then mm-hmm. it's like kind of, there might be some problems there underlying it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I agree with you on that one. And um, there, there are people. Yeah. Like, 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 yeah, exactly what you said. Like I said earlier, there are people in the church that are hurting, that are being oppressed, and that need to see change. 
um, you can be the agent of change for them, but there's also people in your church that are doing the work and that are in the community um, and have a better sense of like what's actually going on um, so that they can kind of help you spur that change. Um, because kind of like, you know, in, in the Bible, I think it's Paul where he describes the body as like, you have your head and the foot and the hand and everyone makes up a different part of the body. And so you might get involved in social justice, but your role might be different. Like you might be the hand and someone else might be the feet. <laughs> so I think that just comes from having this posture also of humility of like, okay, maybe my church or maybe I am complicit in some racism. Let me change my ways, but let me actually listen and like humble myself to other people who are like have more expertise in this and let them tell me what I need to be doing and what, how I can educate myself and how I can like actually create change. I think that takes humility. Yeah. Speaking of humility, I don't even know where, where do you think we would go? Where do we go with this reconciliation process? (laughs) I know we've (laughs) talked about uplifting voices and people that are already involved in the work. Um, but how does a divided American church become reconciled to itself when it seems as if it's not holding the gospel true? You know, like all these divisive barriers of like economic, racial, mm-hmm. um, and now oftentimes even gender barriers of this old world still permeate the church when you would think the gospel would dissolve those because that's, that's kind of the role there. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, there's this one verse that really convicted me um, earlier this year, and of course, I can't remember where it is, but it's in the Bible, I promise. <laughs> but um, I believe you, I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like in Galatians or Ephesians, but he, um, he basically says, like, make every effort towards unity in the body of Christ. And the, the, the phrasing, make every effort that's pretty strong. Like you can't really get out of that. You know, like, it's not like, you know, if you're able to try, or if you come across someone that disagrees with you, maybe engage them. No, it's make effort, right? And that's a very like, I guess like in, that's very action oriented. That's not like something that you just like kind of receive. That's something you actually have to go out and do. And so I think, when we, you know, to your question, like, you know, it's very divided. And you're like, how do you even have reconciliation? And I think a lot of times we think like, it's just going to happen. Like, people are going to start understanding each other. But I think when you're making every effort for unity within the body of Christ, you're actually like taking the steps to see what am I wrong about? Like, what are things that I like, not even looking at what other people got going on in their life, but looking at yourself and like, what am I doing that's wrong? What, you know, did someone, um, cause one of my friends, like she always says, um, she, she's white and she'll always say things like, um, you know, that I'll, you know, like I might make a comment about something being racist and she'd be like, that's a strong word. Like, I don't really want to use that. Like that puts people in a bad light. And, and my like pushback is if someone calls you racist and <laughs> That's not good at all, right? But accept, I think you should accept it and see why am I being called racist? Like, I I think it's with any other sin. Like, if someone called me a liar, like, why are they calling me that? Are there things I need to change about that? 
because once you have like the correct diagnosis, right, then you're able to to make choices. You're able to actually change that behavior. And so I think that kind of in the light of making every effort, it means that like, oh, I'm going to look and evaluate what's going on in my life um, and seeing at a, like a personal level, right? Um, how can I actually make changes? Um, relationally, um, does that mean I need to speak up more? Um, does that mean I need to confront people more? Um, does that mean I believe things about other groups that are wrong? Um, and it, it's also kind of just going into the sanctification process as a believer it might not be a, like a one-time thing. Like it might not be like, oh, last week I used to be racist. That was me in the past. It might be a thing that you have to like slowly like, or work as quickly as you can, but work <laughs> it out of your <laughs> system, right? Um, and I think that, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that it, it's a very, just acknowledging like at first on the personal level, I might need to change some things about myself in relation to other groups that, you know, are different than me. But then also, I think that, and I mean, I'll just say this as a black woman, I I see the effort that white people make in like becoming friends with black people. And that's all nice. But when it stops, it's like, oh, we'll be friends. But then it stops at, you know, social justice or politics. And it's kind of like, like, why don't you see, am I not worth enough for you guys to get a little bit uncomfortable to like, pursue some sort of justice um or like to actually even hear me out you know like I'm, I'm explaining to you like these things are happening like I'm explaining to you about voter suppression or about um police brutality or you know just how we are treated in the workplace I mean the list could go on right and the fact that that's where it's like oh you're starting to talk crazy now <laughs> like what like I, I I feel when I read verses like make every effort of unity when when I can when we can like get to a point where we can reconcile and be friends, but it's only on your terms. I don't feel like you're making every effort, and I mean I don't. Yeah, I I just I feel as if that you can uh, a way that you can like practice love and practice the reconciliation is actually by engaging in those harder conversations about policy and listening and actually making choices that change those policies. Yeah, I feel like Paul's pretty clear. I mean, even outside of Ephesians, like throughout Unity is mm -hmm. kind of like the theme of every letter. <laughs> There's some sort of division occurring. And in spite of it all, like your reconciliation comes with suffering and it takes a little mm -hmm. bit of effort. And if that involves us having to be a little bit more uncomfortable, it might be worth it for the gospel. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that ties in well to what's uh what's a hope you have for the american church that you see on the horizon for sure so last year my best friend um she did an internship in boston and um it was during the summer so i went up for one of the weekends and spent some time with her and you know boston is has a lot of history <laughs> um american history and so we went to the first anglican church in america and we got to tour the church and we got to see and it was really interesting the way the church was set up is they had um like basically like pews 
but they were like sectioned off. So there was like a door to get into the pew and you had to pay money to like um, get into the pew. And, you know, like today it was just, we were just watching, like looking through, but like in back in the day, <laughs> if you were a family, you would buy a pew and like the more money your family had, the nicer the pew was and, or you were closer to the person speaking or you had a bigger pew, depending on how much money you had, right? Um, and so basically, if you didn't have money, you weren't coming to church. <laughs> and that just goes so bump to me, right? Like, that is not the gospel at all. Like, you're supposed to, like, everyone's welcome. <laughs> Everyone needs Jesus, not just rich people. Um, and then they had an area for slaves. So slaves were actually allowed to come to the church, but they weren't allowed to, of course, of course purchase any pews. So they had to sit up in the back. Um, and they had to sit in the back, like up in the, um, like the balcony area. And so you really couldn't see what was going on. Like it was just, it, no one wanted to be up there. Right. And, um, it's funny cause one of my um, favorite, I guess, authors and thoughts, um, um, provoking leaders right now is, um, Dr. Esau McCulley and he's actually an Anglican priest. Um, and which I think is funny cause it just, I think it shows just how far we've come right? So there is discrimination, you know, in the church, right? You have your rich people are only allowed to come to church. You can only come if you spend so much money, if you tithe so much. That is ridiculous. Um, they're not even allowing Black people to, like, get the full experience, you know, in this church. Um, and, um, but now you can go into that denomination and you can see, like, they have Anglican priests now. Like, you, they're actually preaching. They're helping craft ideas and lead people and so I think that gives me hope is being able to look in the past and see like how God has still been faithful in things that have been so broken, so like overtly racist. He has still been able to allow the gospel to get through. And we we can see, we see tangible changes that have happened, right? And so I think looking back is what gives me hope for now, right? And I think that we need to become like better <laughs> at learning our history. And I think we need to learn, you know, we talk about it like, oh, like we have a lot of bad history, like America or the American church has a lot of bad history and we need to learn from it. And I think we need to learn about the bad, but we also need to learn about the good. And I, I have so much hope because I've seen so much good. Like God has been faithful to work through um, different churches, different denominations and still create just amazing leaders and amazing, amazing people, amazing communities, and still allow the gospel to be spread and to still allow progress. Um, and so I think my hope really comes from just learning my history and seeing how um, resilient um, people have been, but just where that, that resilience has really come, that strength and resilience has come from the Lord. And, um, I'm really thankful for that. And that's, that's where my hope is. My hope is in the Lord and my hope is just seeing him work through our people. So yeah. Well, big shout out to the Anglican church <laughs> and also the Lord, you know, that's probably cool yeah. too. Yeah. Um, well, thank Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, it's been a great time. Cool conversation. Always enjoy longer conversations, frankly. So when we do these 15 minute ones with Luke, it's like, how am I going to pack so much information into 15 <laughs> minutes? Like, I don't do that. I do like hour long, like hour long works for me way better. So this has been very refreshing by comparison. Although I've enjoyed Luke's time too, of course, like it's always <laughs> been a good time. 
would yeah. never want to downplay that. It's been great. But I do like the, you know, hours, one hour, two hour. They just can't be packed into one podcast <laughs> or for one sure. podcast episode for that matter. Um, sure. Are there can any I... recommendations that you would want to give to our listeners that I can include in the description below? That way they can be challenged and dive deeper into some of the stuff that we talked about. Because in an hour, we covered quite a bit or you covered quite a bit for sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I really like this one book that I read this year. It's called The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. And I, you know, I absolutely love this book. And <laughs> you can actually listen to it if you're like a person that prefers to listen. Um, but he, he really just starts off um, talking about um, back in the um, civil rights, um, era when there was a bombing in the church and four young girls were murdered and he taught and he um, brings up a story where where a white lawyer actually comes up after this bombing and it's like hey like this is our fault this is every white person that has been complicit in racism this is your fault and those that's pretty um that's a, a large accusation to put on someone and so i think what tisby wants to do like as he goes through as he's going through this book is showing how time and time again the white church has been complicit in racism and has been complicit in like these evil things that have happened in in america and where he shows where the church had a choice you know where we had a choice to like do what was right they didn't do what was right um primarily the black the, the white church um and so i think it's good to learn just about our history in um as americans um as an american church um, to see where we went wrong and to also see now where we can go right and, you know, to kind of to try to get away from the same mistakes that the church has made in the past. And then he ends the book with some action steps. Um, I know we talked a little bit about, you know, where, you know, should the church um, get involved in social justice and politically? Well, he gives some really good ideas on things the church can actually do. Um, and I will say that I think that a lot of times that question comes up is like, what should we do? What should we do? And I think a lot of times that question comes from a place of um, a lack of education. And so I think this book is a good um, kind of like a first step in getting that in becoming equipped and being able to answer for yourself, what can I do? Because um, you can't do anything if you don't know what the problem is. And this book really helps um, helps you to learn what the problem is and um, the next steps and how to change it. And that's why it's on my list as well from several months ago, and I haven't gotten to it yet. <laughs> so I will oh, yeah. definitely have to read it now. I was actually going to introduce it as a uh, potential podcast episode once I read it, but now I definitely have to because it's been recommended yeah. on the show. And it'd be kind of weird if I didn't actually use the resource that has been recommended to me <laughs> and to our listeners. So probably should do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, take take your time with it. Um, it took me a while to read it, but I... I... A lot of it was just like kind of affirming things that experiences that I've been told about and I've had in the church. Um, and it was great to just like put dates and names to what was actually happening. Um, but take your time. It's it's hard to read. You know, it's not like, oh, yeah, America's great. <laughs> There's some, <laughs> some evil things that happen in here and exposes some leaders um, and Christian um, people that, you know, we kind of celebrate and shows like maybe they weren't actually um, living fully for the Lord. So definitely check it out and let me know when you do check it out. I would love to hear what you think. 
Oh, I will for sure. Yeah. When I get my Kindle for Christmas, I'll have to add it and speed read it when I'm on vacation. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Cool beans. Well, thank you again so much. Definitely appreciate it. We'll definitely, if you didn't hate the experience, we'll try to have you on again at some point. <laughs> Bring up some more topics. Maybe you'll have questions for me. I don't know. <laughs> We're yeah. new to this whole podcasting thing. <laughs> Yeah, Nick, thank you so much for having me and thinking of me. Um, it's just, it's been a pleasure to be able to speak a little bit about what I've been learning and my experience. And so thank you for giving me a platform to share. Um, and also thank you, uh, you, Nick, and then also Luke, if he's listening, it's just for creating this this um, space for these types of ideas. I think that's great. And I think you should continue to educate yourselves and educating others. This is this is another one of the pieces of hope I have to see on um, this podcast and what you guys are doing. So I'm so thankful to be a part of it. Hey, well, thanks. Well, if you know more thoughtful, challenging people, just let me know and we'll have them on too. You know, always about trying to get thought provoking individuals on to have good conversations. Yeah, yeah, I'll let you know. I'll hit you up. <laughs> All right, sounds like a plan. Well, thank you very much. And we'll talk to you guys. Well, we'll talk to our listeners. They might be able to talk back in different forms later. All right. right. Goodbye. Bye.